Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. How's it going and welcome to episode 113 of On The Wire. Proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at On The Wire Pod. Of course, you can follow me at 80 Grade. That's all spelled out. And you can follow Kevin Hastings at Hasting Kevin. Fortunately, Kevin is off again this week. Instead, I am joined by fellow Pitcherless contributor Grant Washburn. Grant should be followed on the Twitter himself throwing underscore gas that's spelled g-a-s-e and his most recent article at pitcher list outlines the bullpen usage that actually translates to arbitration dollars or vice versa we'll talk a little bit about that more and how i mess that all up <laughs> later on in the show but before we do that and get a lot of uh, suggestions for your fab dollars this sunday grant thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to join me this week how you doing hey thanks for having me i'm happy to be here Love listening to the pod every weekend. It's an integral part of my fab prep. Thanks for having I, me. I love and hate hearing people say that because as as I've said, so other people have said, it's like you have, lo- I lost a listener this weekend because <laughs> now I have the listener on the show with me, but that's fine. I'd rather have you here with me today to actually get your insight and actually translate that into actual recommendations. And then that's great. We're record full disclosure to anybody listening. Typically we do record these on Saturday night. We get as much information as possible. Scheduling conflicts have me having to do this on Friday night. So everything we talk about today obviously will not include anything that happened late on Friday and throughout the Saturday day. So by the time you're listening to this on Sunday, half the stuff we're talking about could be completely incorrect. So I apologize in advance for that. Hopefully it's still some useful information for you guys to out there to consider as you are making, as you're spending your fab dollars at the end of at the end of the month. Yeah. And like I said, Grant, we're going to go into your article you put out at the beginning of the month where you kind of look at how teams have utilized their bullpens, especially at the end of games to has it might influence the arbitration dollars that they're going to spend or or how arbitration influences who's getting saves but like i said we'll get into that a little bit later let's get into we have quite a bit to talk about and this is without anything happening on saturday so let's get into our news and notes section here things that we're going to cover of course we try to find things that might impact what you're going to do in your fab so if you miss a whole bunch of stuff Apologize on that. Doesn't really affect what we're talking about here. First, let's go to Philadelphia where Taiwan Walker, he left his start earlier this week with forearm tightness. Obviously nothing you want to hear. Anything with an elbow, anything with a shoulder, anything with a forearm, nothing you want to hear with your starting pitching and your rotation. But knowing what we know now based on when he left and what looks like it's going to be, what's going to happen in the coming days, what's your level of concern there? And should he miss any time? What would you expect the impact of the Phillies rotation to be? Yeah, so it looks like Walker's going to make his next start, at least as we're recording this. And I think that's reassuring for fantasy managers since he's been playing pretty well. And for Phillies fans, 
The next, the most obvious next man up is Christopher Sanchez, who's on the 40 man. And he pitched a bit last year, made some, made a spot start during the doubleheader with the Rockies. But I wouldn't be interested there. Really looking through their depth chart, the primary takeaway for me was that the Phillies might need to fast track some of their double A rotation if they do take major hits to their rotation. There's not much here in triple A. Down the road, they might need to consider Mick Abel or Griff McGarry. I think I originally wrote down Gary McGriff there in my notes. But it's really just a depth problem. And unless they can turn one of their relievers, another one of their relievers into a viable starter, I would be concerned for the rotation down the road, but I wouldn't have a lot of fantasy interest if Walker were to go down for a lengthy period of time, unless one of those double A pitchers gets fast tracked. Yeah, obviously you're referencing the likes of Matt Strom doing what he's been doing lately, coming in from the bullpen, finding a situation that he really wanted in the offseason. He was very vocal about this. And while he was in Boston, he wanted to be, he wanted to find a new home where he was going to be a starter. Nick Anderson said the same thing. I think Seth Lugo said the same thing in the offseason. It didn't look like Strom was going to have that opportunity, but lo and behold, here he is throwing five and a third, a whole bunch of strikeouts and doing good things looking like he's going to stick in the rotation for quite some time with the Phillies. We'll see if they're able to do that moving forward with anybody else. We've got a whole bunch of other prospects. We talked about some guys in the Phillies system who could move up. Of course, you have Andrew Painter and what have you as well, moving his way back from his injury. But other guys have made their actual impacts or are scheduled. Cleveland has picked up Logan Logan T. Allen. Make sure I'm specifically on that. It's gonna you're gonna want to make sure you're bidding on the right Logan Allen <laughs> this Sunday. Of course, there is the Logan Allen that also used to be with Cleveland at the same time that they drafted Logan T. Allen. That was gonna be interesting if they were up at the same time. Of both course, lefty lo- pitchers too, right? And they're, yeah, both lefties. But luckily, the other Logan Allen is no longer with Cleveland. So at least you have that differentiator. So you had Logan T. Allen made his debut this past Sunday. Not eligible for fab bidding in NFBC platforms just because you have to major debut before Sunday. So, you know, the system's all up to date. And then, of course, following him was Tanner Bybee. It is Bybee, by the way. Just throw that out there. Anaheim called Chase Silseth. And Toronto brought back Nate Pearson. So a whole bunch of others. I almost put in, I was tricked earlier today by the news that Bobby Miller was going to make his season debut. And I realized that the headline was very tricky saying season debut did not specify that he was going to be making his AAA season mm. debut, not his major league debut. But the Dod- him and along with other guys in the Dodgers are on the precipice of making their ways up. We talked a little bit about this last week as well, but any of the guys I just went over, we got Bybee, we got Allen, we got Silseth, and we have Pearson, granted coming back into a bullpen role with Toronto, but are any of these guys doing anything for you this week for Fab? Is this kind of a Fab pitcher palooza once again for you, or what's your take on these guys? Yeah, so I'll start with the, the easiest one for me, which is that I'm not particularly interested in Pearson unless I have more information about usage. There's They've got quite a few good relievers in that pen, and even though I think Pearson has an intriguing arsenal for a relief role, until he's used in high leverage, I'm probably not going to mm-hmm. be bidding on him. In terms of Chase Silseth, I would hope that Jose Suarez isn't standing in the way of Chase Silseth. I don't... Suarez is just has not been performing over the past 
or just for the beginning of the season. And Silseth is he came on in relief, but he was making starts in in, in the minor leagues. It's going to depend there for me on whether or not he actually makes it into the rotation. In which case, he someone to keep an eye on, but not someone to be rushing out to get. I think he could be a decent streamer and given the right matchup down the road. In terms of Tanner Bybee and Logan Allen, definitely interested in both of these. They both are throwing more than five innings in their, they, I think it was 5.2 and six in their respective starts. Both struck out. They had some good matchups. Allen faced the Marlins and Bybee got Rocky Road. So it's not like they faced significant competition, but we know that these two pitchers have pedigree and there's a lot of excitement and intrigue around both. It's hard to say, though, how Cleveland's rotation is going to shake out. Right now, it looks like they might, in the short term, use a six-man rotation with Peyton Battenfield still staying in. I can't imagine that sticks around long term. But given that Bybee's call-up came with Pilkington's being DFA'd, I'm I'm inclined to think that both of them will at least get a decent run, since otherwise you'd expect Allen to be optioned if it was just a spot start. But down the you know it's going to be it's going to be a battle for a rotation spot with Savali and McKenzie eventually coming back into the rotation. I think the industry is probably more excited about Bybee. For me, it's not a clear choice between the two of them. And I think either one would be a good consolation prize, regardless of who your favorite is. Bybee is more of a slider four-seamer guy, and his four-seam didn't really play up in his debut, but it gets good grades and also good stuff in the minors, so I'm hoping that starts to translate. Allen's arsenal is more secondary heavy. He has a, sl- a splitter and a sweeper and a cutter, and all of those pitches graded really well in his debut in various kind of movement and speed based metrics like stuff plus plv etc it's tough to say though because the minor leagues that's not the track record here is really is that that allen is more of the command pitcher and bybee is more of the sort of power pitcher and in their debuts it wasn't that wasn't necessarily obvious Mm -hmm. so it's hard to say there i do the fact that bybee's arsenal is deep uh and his four seamer even though it's not blow him away pitch it got a good some good whiffs in the debut and seems to be decent enough to at least serve as a building or foundation for the secondary so in in some ways i might prefer allen over bybee but i also feel like it's a bit of a toss-up for me right now so i'm happy to get either yeah, I think in a, in a head-to-head format, I'm much more interested in these guys. But to echo something you said earlier, like the unknown about the Cleveland rotation right now is going to have me a little held back on bidding on either of these guys, or at least having them be the top choice in my conditional bids when I'm looking at pitchers for this week. I'd be like, I, I'd be happy to have them to stream because I would expect both of them to get another start. Allen. Looks like he's penciled in to start on Sunday. At least roster resource thinks Bybee's going to get his start on next Wednesday against the Yankees, which at this point, I'll stream almost anybody against Probably the Yankees no the, way that there, yeah. the way that they're hitting or lack the, or not hitting. I think the interesting set I heard too is that the Yankees have less hits than the Oakland A's so far this season. I don't know if that was just throwing shade or if that was actually true. I didn't look it up. So I'm just, I'm not going to quote who I heard it from just in case it's wrong, but I thought it was funny and interesting nonetheless, at least enough to say it again out loud 
the other guy we're, that we're wondering the, whether or not it's true. So that means that yeah. there's something there. <laughs> it's not a, it's not an automatic. No, it's not true. It's something <laughs> we're thinking about that enough says it all. Nate Pearson's one that I'm actually, I'm more interested. I don't need Nate Pearson to be at the end of games. I don't need him to be getting saves in a bullpen role. I am totally the guy that will be streaming multi-inning relievers and relievers that I think are going to go three or four times in a given week. I just don't think Toronto is going to be using him, at least not right away, with enough volume for me to be interested. He's only had one appearance so far as we're recording this. He's been up for almost a full week now. And so I'm not sure that they're going, it looks like they're going to be easing him into it. And if, if he were to be eased into it and he were to go two or three innings per outing rather than like the one inning that he went already then I'm going to be more interested, but I'm going to wait another week until I see that happen. All right. We had a, we had a, a long time listener, first time caller message us on the Twitter. We want to get a, our takes on his situation. Then it really involves a couple of these guys as well. So the question is that he's got Jose Barrios, Barrios and Breeze Singer available on the wire with Bybee and Allen also available for pickup this week. So Grant, if you need pitching, what would the order of preference be for, with these four guys in particular? Of course, we've got the two veterans, or at least the one veteran and the one soon-to-be veteran singer available. Barrios doing better things lately. You get all the articles out there that is, like, hey, Barrios is good again, or is he? I'm not sure. And it's, you never really know. And then Singer obviously doing what he's doing, but with Kansas City. And how, how much fab would you be willing to spend on each guy? Of course, this all depends on your format. This is going to depend on the depth of your leagues. That information, I don't think I really got, but it, maybe I did and I just didn't copy it correctly. So I apologize. But what's your take on these four guys in the, what's your order preference? If you need a pitcher, you can only get one. What order, what order are you putting your conditional bids in? Yeah. So it definitely for me is going to depend a bit on context. Are we, if we're talking about a 15 team league or a 12 team league, I think my, my fab bids would be pretty different because with four pitchers that are, that all have their kind of asterisks next to that Barrios with the inconsistency and singer, I think there's some question marks there for me. And then Bybee and Allen with long-term playing time, whether or not they'll stick in the rotation, it would definitely affect the, how much I'm bidding on each. And it's also going to depend on if I need pitching in the sense of I just need innings, in which case I'm probably going to be going for a barrier or, or singer just because I know that those innings are guaranteed. Or if I'm hoping to, if I have innings, but I need someone with a high ceiling, then maybe I'm going to be looking more at Bybee and Allen. In terms of just in a vacuum, I think I would probably say either Allen Bybee or Bybee Allen for me, like I said before, it's a little bit of a toss up there. I will say, I think it's Chris Walsh of The Athletic has implied that or stated that he's heard that Allen is the kind of higher in the pecking order. Obviously, performance would determine that if Allen doesn't play well in the first few games, that might change. But uh, for that reason, I might put Allen above Bybee there. And then I think I'd put Burrios over Singer. Again, that's in a vacuum, though. If I need innings, I'm probably not going for Allen and Bybee. In terms of percentages, I'm in a 15-team league. Bybee and Allen are going to have a ton of hype behind them. It might not be, I think, Bybee more. It might not be easy to get Bybee for 
or possible to get Bybee for less than 20%, which given the fact that all four of these pitchers are available, I probably am not going to be the highest bidder there. But if you're talking about a 12-team league, then I could see anywhere from 4 to 12%, depending on whether or not I'm trying to get a particular one, in which case I might go up to that 12, say for a Bybee. Or if I just want to get one of these four, I'm going to go somewhere between 4 and 8%, and I'm just going to see which one I get. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go not complicated route, and I'm looking at just this week. And if I can get somebody, this is what I said about <laughs> Griffin Canning last week. If I can stream against Oakland, I'm going to stream against Oakland. Yeah. And lo and behold, we have at least one of these guys going up against Oakland with Brady Singer. So Brady Singer is probably the guy I'm targeting the most in this week's fab of that foursome. And I got no problem throwing. I'm probably not going triple digits because I'm. if guys like Singer and Barrios are available on the wire. I am venturing to guess this is definitely no more than a 12-teamer because these are still guys that are not getting dropped in 15-teamers right, regardless right. of what they what they started off doing or at any given start. They're not streamers in that format. This is even possible this is a 10-teamer. It also depends on me if, it is, if this is Roto or head-to-head, and I'm more likely to play these matchups in a head-to-head for sure. Mm-hmm. And I will bet a little up. I think it's against the grain from my experience in playing head to head with Fab, but I probably would bid a little bit more in a head to head league for the likes of Singer with this kind of a matchup. Now, Barrios does look like he is going to get a two a two starter this coming week, facing off against in Fenway. What you don't love to see, Red Sox aren't the Red Sox of old, as people will say. There's still a decent offense and not a great park to pitch in, and but then they do face off against Pittsburgh surprisingly enough pittsburgh is quite better quite better yeah that's a phrase uh they are quite a bit better than people may have expected but it is in pnc which is still a nice place to pitch in general so if you're looking for true volume true streamer burritos might be the way to go especially if you are in a daily move league and you can choose whether or not you want to start them for both or at least start them if you have to start them for two then at least you're getting the volume there and you're crossing your fingers the other guys would be my condition the rookies would be my conditional just because like i said earlier i won't be going heavy again on these guys in a, in your typical roto league just because of the question marks around what their status is going to be moving forward for the entire season. If I'm going to be spending triple digits in a in your standard $1,000 Fab League, I want to make sure that these guys are going to be on my roster for quite some time, and they're going to be able to impact my roster for quite some time. I don't know if either one of these guys can send back down when they're going to get back up. It's not like a Jordan Walker situation, which we'll get to in a second, which I think most of us expect him to be up in the minimum time after he quote figures things out <laughs> down in triple a i don't know what to expect with with these guys especially since cleveland has so many of them gavin williams is somebody we didn't even talk about and he's just making his way into triple a but he'll be up he'll be in the mix as well moving forward so Hopefully that kind of clears up that depending on which direction you want to be going with this type of scenario you might have on your wire. That's the direction I would be going at least. Let's talk about Jordan Walker though. And we have in St. Louis, he got a Jordan Walker got optioned down to AAA. Also in Arizona, we got Jake McCarthy getting optioned down as well. The struggling outfielder for the Diamondbacks. Are you holding either of them through this with the expectation that they're back up soon. Obviously, if you drafted McCarthy, 
in most leagues, you spent up quite a bit looking for those stolen bases, not realizing maybe that you could get stolen bases pretty much everywhere from almost anyone by this time of the year. But McCarthy obviously was a target for many in even the top 10 rounds. In in some cases, Jordan Walker obviously made his way into the top 10 rounds when it was known he was going to start with St. Louis. You expect either or both of these guys to be back up soon. And does this bump the value of any of the Cardinals or Diamondbacks outfield? options that are still with the team yeah so i'll take the cardinals first i think this one is a little bit tougher since a few seconds ago i got a notification saying that tyler o'neill was scratched from his game and i haven't seen what the the issue is there or i'm not even sure if it's been reported yet that that does throw originally i would have said i it, it seems like this really solidifies playing time for O'Neill and New Bar and Burleson with Carlson taking some playing time from each of them. They seem to be comfortable doing some kind of regular rest in the outfield. But if no O'Neill is down with anything significant, then I think that does change things, in which case maybe we see Walker back up sooner than I would have thought. But I don't think until we find out there that there would have been anything actionable. So I would definitely, if you're holding on to Walker right now and before the kind of Sunday fab runs, I would definitely be watching the news intently to see whether or not we hear anything about O'Neill and whether or not we hear about anything about correlated moves. As far as the Diamondbacks go, I think it'll really depend for McCarthy on whether or not he can fix some things. It sounds like he's being sent down to, to work on some mechanics. I'm Right now, I it seems like this really just means that Alec Thomas is going to stick and center and Corbin Carroll and Lord Descariel Jr. are getting regular playing time, daily playing time, their starters. I think the sneaky beneficiary here is Haven Smith. And I did double check that. It's Paven. I always second guess myself. When I sure. Say that loud. But right now he's been looking like he's the the big side platoon with Longoria at DH, getting occasional reps at first base. And he also appears to be the fourth outfielder on the depth chart. There's not really anyone else that's that's there right now after McCarthy was sent down. He's quietly putting together quite the performance. He's When I wrote up these notes, I, I, he hasn't played today. I, he wasn't in the lineup since they were facing a lefty. He's slashing 353, 463, 618. He's actually someone that I, over the course of 41 plate appearances. So it's a small sample, but he was showing some really interesting things last year before he went down with injury. I wrote about him a bit. His barrel rate was through the roof and he was, his swing decisions were, it was maybe bordering on too passive, but he seems to be turning things. He seems to be bringing those things into 2023. His barrel rate is, is up there. I think it's in the mid teens right now. Last time I checked and his K rates right where it was, his walk rates increasing. These are all the kinds of things that you'd like to see. I think Paven Smith with the playing time and if everything clicks still has a breakout in him, I'm still a Paven Smith believer. I think there's 25 home runs and a 270 average in the realm of possibility, but I wouldn't bet money on it or anything. But definitely if Paven Smith is there, if I'd consider picking him up for a few dollars since there isn't a lot of hype here and he's getting consistent playing time in that platoon. Yeah, I think... I think if you didn't want to grab him this week, you could get away with waiting a week. Only if for no other reason, like you said, he's on that strong side of the platoon. It does look like Arizona is going to face three lefties in the next week, and they only have five games next week. Right. Um, so this is so, not the week to. I mean, if you want to stash him for. 
if you want to stash them for one dollar, then yeah, sure. But I think you could get away with leaving them out there and getting them next week because he's not going to do enough next week to scratch any eyeballs or get anybody's attention there. Unless the cores games to die tomorrow and day after. That'd yeah, we'll see what he thing, does. But yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see if he doesn't. Yeah, of course, he gets a three home run game on Sunday, regardless of what his schedule looks like. Someone's bidding on him. <laughs> I get that. Yeah, as far as Walker goes, I think the thing that stood out to me is the fact that, of course, he was on the opening day roster. The Cardinals want him to compete for rookie of the year so they can get that extra draft pick. Let's just remind everybody that on, there's only one player in each league that can win the rookie of the year that can then get their team extra draft picks. It's it's not whoever comes in second, third, or fourth also gets different draft picks. It's winner-take-all scenario. Um, Walker obviously qualifies for that. He would not qualify for it, though, if they keep him down longer than I think it's 14 days. Obviously, he's on the 15-day IL. And then, I, but I, the rule I read, and apologize, I can't find the tweet that I found this on, so I can't credit it. But I do believe there's a rule in place where any anytime he's optioned down for less than 20 days, that still counts as major league time, at least when it's calculated towards service time. Um, and so as long as he's down for less than 20 days in this option and any other subsequent options, he can still qualify for that as long as each option doesn't last more than 20 days. As soon as he goes past the 20 day mark, though, he will not be eligible to he could still win rookie of the year, but he wouldn't be eligible to get the St. Louis Cardinals an extra draft pick. So I think that will be somewhat of an incentive, if not anything else, to have the Cardinals actually calling him back up soon. Low. LT, LTDR, I'm not dropping Walker, and I have plenty of exposure to Jordan Walker. He's not in my lineup, but he's not going to be going on the wires anytime soon. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, let's get into some not as good news. Of course, we have the Minnesota Twins going through some injury woes. They've had some a lot of really good things happening with their rotation, with Joe Ryan, Sonny Gray doing good things, Pablo Lopez doing really good things. But then on the other end, Kenta Maeda and Tyler Molly are hurting with Maeda expecting to be going on the IL by the time you're listening to this. Hopefully he is officially on the IL for those who are stashing him and hoping that they can plug him into an IL spot like myself in my Yahoo league. I'm just waiting twins. Just do it. Just move them into the IL spot so I can make the adjustments. And then Tyler Molly looks from last thing I saw with his elbow, they are giving him anti-inflammatories and hoping that kind of goes down and we'll see. So they're still playing the wait and see game as far as what that looks like. But if these guys miss an extended period of time, who should we be speculating on to fill both of their spots, not just one? 
Yeah. So I'd say this isn't the kind of move where I'm going to be too aggressive until we, we hear a bit more. We, it does look like there's no structural damage, according to Naida's MRIs. That is good news for him. But I think the most obvious options here are Bailey Ober and then Louis Varland. Ober, I think, is has been one of the one of those pitchers that I think has all has every reason to be in a major league rotation. But given the depth of their rotation this year, it, he's been mostly in Triple uh, He gets an, a a decent, not great matchup with Cleveland, primarily not great because they don't strike out a ton. But I do think that Ober is the kind of pitcher that if we heard anything about long-term issues with either Maida or Molly, that I would want to have on my roster. And so I'd be interested in picking up Ober with that kind of adage of streaming so that you don't have to. He's the kind of streamer I'm happy to pick up in hopes of having them stay on my roster long term. I'm also a big fan of Varland. He only he's only pitched one start this year, but he flashed a a 96.2 average on his four seamer, which is couple ticks up from his 93.8 average last year. The stuff models really like him and he seems to be next in line after Ober, so with both Molly and Maeda down this could be an opportunity for Varland to showcase that new stuff. I'm definitely intrigued there, and I haven't heard a lot of hype around Varland. I would definitely be keeping an eye out for him on your waiver wire. Yeah, as we're recording this, Bailey Ober has already been called up to start. I believe he's starting on Saturday, and so by the time you're listening to this, we'll actually have some information on how he did and whether or not he will stick in the in that rotation spot, which I expect to see plenty of bids on him this Sunday with the expectation that he is there for the at least a few weeks. All right, let's fly through these last couple of things that kind of just happened recently. We have Kerry Carpenter in Detroit. He hurt his shoulder robbing Ryan Mountcastle of a home run on Thursday. He's been hitting pretty decent bat lately. Not really known for his glove, but that was a nice little nice catch, nice rob that he made. But is there anyone with the Tigers that can fill his spot in the lineup that we should be watching for? Yeah, so it seems like there's nothing really new here so much as Vadu is already getting regular playing time. I would be more interested in, or I would imagine that Veerling is more available, and he's been riding the bench more regularly recently. So I would imagine that if Carpenter's out for a few days or for longer than that, Veerling will be getting the majority of those plate appearances. He's been occasionally hitting at the top of the lineup, but then otherwise hitting around seven. So it's not like this is going to be a massive target for anyone, but I think he can be a decent, if unexciting, contributor to all four, five categories, and that makes him worth noting. That's fine. That's fair. It's just a matter of sometimes, especially in your deepest leagues, it's all about the playing time. It's about how many at-bats you can actually get in your lineup. If that's the answer, then that's the answer, whether you like it or not. Let's go to the White Sox here with Tim Anderson and Hanser Alberto. They're nearing the return to the White Sox as they begin their rehab assignments, respectively. But on the flip side, they have Yo- Mancata. He's been reported to have been dealing with a protruding disc, which is pinching a nerve and just saying all these things makes me like just (laughs) squirm in my chair. It feels pretty painful in general. His return timeline is very much in question now, at least much more so than it was before. So how do we expect the White Sox lineup to shake out in the next week or so? Yeah, so I'm assuming that with Anderson back, that's just going to mean less time for playing time for Lennon Sosa. Otherwise, the Mancata news is really just more run for Jake Berger. And 
if Jake Berger isn't rostered in your league, then he should be, and you should go pick him up because he's killing it right now. <laughs> it's one of those situations where it's like, how do I join that league? That's the league I need to be in right now. All right, and the last thing here we're going to talk about, unfortunate, unfortunate news that we don't really want to talk about, but it, it means something. Aaron Judge, he aggravated his hip during Thursday's game a day after leaving a game early after taking uh, an awkward slide into third base. What sort of action are you expecting from the Yankees if Judge misses more than the expect? What he's saying is a few days to get right. Yeah, this is tough. It's it, There's no clear answer here, but I think an important news item to mention, which could develop over the weekend, is that Jake Bowers has is now on the taxi squad, so he's with the team. And Aaron Boone apparently said that he may join the team regardless of the news on Judge. Bowers it's never really put it together in the majors, even though we have speculated on Bowers putting it together in the majors for years now. <laughs> But right now he has an 18% K rate in AAA and nine home runs across 87 plate appearances. This is, this could just that seems be good. a veteran. <laughs> yeah. This could just be a veteran beating up on AAA pitching. But I also think that the Yankees are not particularly aggressive with these kinds of roster moves. Right now they have reason to be. They're horrible. Their offense is horrible. <laughs> that's right. That's and, perfect. And, and without judge, let's be honest, like, that's 90% of the offense, especially with with Stanton down. It could just be that they're trying anything, or it could be that they see something here, you know, something along the lines of a Matt Carpenter random call-up that they see something in. Otherwise, I think it's worth noting that Willie Calhoun is getting a bit more run at DH these days with Stanton down. And with Judge down as well, I would expect that to continue. He's probably not going to get much time in the outfield. He's been playing a couple of games here and there, and I would assume primarily during home games is where you'd see that happening because of the short porch making that a little bit easier to field. He's not a very he's not a high quality defender to put it kindly. <laughs> Franchi Cordero has been really struggling. He might see some time in right field, but I'm not sure if I'd be interested anyway. Isaiah Kiner Falefa has seen some time in center field, but none of these players are really getting consistent playing time. Aaron Hicks has been in four of the last five games, and I don't have interest there. Uh, there was a time when Hicks was very underrated, and now he's just past his prime, I think. And that's unfortunate, but I don't think you'd see him contributing to any counting stats, even with playing time, and he's going to be a drain on your batting average. So really, if they start putting Jake Bowers somewhere high up in the order and there's some, and he hits the ground running, maybe I'm interested, but there's no obvious place where there's going to be regular and assured at bats. And I just, for that reason, I'm not really sure if I'm going to be moving on any of these. Yeah. I think you pretty much summed up everything that could be said. It would be nice to see any lefty going into Yankee stadium and especially one that's got nine bombs in 50 some odd plate appearances mm-hmm. in triple a. So Jake Bowers, as the discord likes to refer to him as rake Bowers, just because of what he's been doing and just the want and need of him to actually do something at the major league level might be somebody worth throwing in as the final speculatory dollar bid and the, the bottom of your waterfall build bids I will right say there. That so. I have a good friend who is a Rays fan who always wanted Jake Bowers to be something. Mm. And as a Yankee fan, nothing would be sweeter than a three home <laughs> do it for your team. Rays next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I can see that. All right, let's uh, let's tie a bow on all of that after that lovely sentiment you had there for your friend. And we'll move on from our news and notes section. That is going to wrap it up. As always, I'm sure we missed a couple things worth noting. To keep up with all the news of the day, make sure you're listening to Nick's Pollock's Plus Pitch Podcast. They hi- He highlights every starting pitcher and performance from the day prior and also the first pitch podcast with Casey Bubba and Jay Crumpler on the weekends. They break down all the news, highlights, and observations from every day's worth of games as well as looking ahead at each slate to keep you up to date with everything you need to know to win your fantasy league. Just a moment. We're gonna. I'm gonna come back and talk to Grant about his most recent article that came out earlier this month regarding how teams are utilizing their bullpens and how arbitration dollars may be impacting the usage at the end of games. We'll get into all that right after this quick break. All right, we are back. We're going to talk a little bit with Grant Washburn here of Pitcher List, my cohort there. And I wanted to just get your synopsis. I think, Grant, something that we say all the time, almost almost in passing, or at least I know I do. And I always say if I'm speculating on a closer or somebody, especially during draft season, you want to follow the money. The guy who's getting paid the most is probably going to be your closer. And I think I might even be guilty of kind of leaning on that a little bit too much, especially when you hear like the Trevor Mays of the world. Hey, they're the, not only is he the most highly paid reliever in their bullpen, he's the most highly paid Oakland athletic on that roster. So he should be the closer. And obviously that's not the case. And for various other reasons that maybe might not have been the case from day one, but in general, talk to me a little bit about the findings you found when you were researching this idea for this article and how does the money really influence what goes on at the end of games throughout, throughout major league baseball, really? Yeah, thanks for asking about this. I, it's a, it's definitely one of those things that I was curious about for just all the reasons that you outlined, right? It seems every once in a while when we're talking about closers, we mention contract situation because it seems relevant, but it's hard to quantify how much it might influence a decision. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to look into that a bit more. And this is a theme with a lot of my writing is that it's identifying places where teams are making decisions based on money and not with an eye toward competition necessarily. And so I wanted to just take a look and see. And the way I approached this for the article was instead of just looking at contract dollars, I looked at arbitration status. So basically, is the player pre-arbitration? Are they arbitration eligible? Or are they post-arbitration, whether that's through having already graduated from arbitration status or if it's from signing a long-term extension or coming in through free agency, international free agency, where they're going to sign a major league contract from the get-go. So really, that was the way that I took the kind of framework I used. And what I found was essentially that in 2020, league-wide, there was a massive shift in bullpen utilization away from using or away from using arbitration and pre-arbitration players in save situations to and then also a trend a correlative trend toward using post-arbitration players in save situations and i think that makes intuitive sense even if we don't look at the dollars themselves arbitration eligible players if they accrue saves are going to 
earn more money in arbitration and having any kind of potential increase in spending or unexpected increase in spending is something that teams want to be in control of. And it just intuitively, this makes sense. And then I started looking through some of the scenarios here. I'm trying to tease this out. And it seems like there's a few things going on here. For the most part, if a team has somebody who can be a closer, who's post-arbitration, they're going to use them in that role. There are outliers. Sometimes teams don't have someone post-arbitration, especially after injury. Sometimes they do, but that pitcher is not decent enough and they're in a competitive win-now mode and so they can't. But in the aggregate, this is a league-wide trend and it's stuck ever since 2020. And if anything, the the thing that was really startling is just how rare it is for especially arbitration-eligible players. There are some instances where teams are giving saves to pre-arbitration players. Think of Camille Duval, for example, or uh, Ioan Duran, the Twins. But we've often seen, so one of the anecdotes I look at is by just tracing the Rays and their usage. It's long been a kind of adage that the Rays are no longer interested in having a closer. And for progressive analytics reasons, they're innovators. But... I actually, I have, I'm pretty skeptical about that take. I think the Rays have not had a closer in recent years because they didn't have someone post-arbitration to give the role. The last time that they had a long-term closer was who had, and Colome, they used him pre-arbitration right up to arbitration and then they traded him away. And they did the same thing with Emilio Pagan. So one of the things that I speculated on in the article was that Pete Fairbanks might be the first legitimate Raise closer with 20 to 30 saves if they ever decide to score less than 20 runs in a game. And uh, <laughs> they decide to score less than that. <laughs> the thing is that it's already starting. To, so the context there is that Fairbanks signed a long term contract with the Rays mm-hmm. over the offseason. Sure. And he's the only one that's had a single, single inning save for the team thus far this season. I. So it's that kind of thing that I'm looking at. I think what really what you're seeing is the effect of some wins on the part of pitchers like Zach Britton, who showed that if you start accruing saves and performing at a high level, you're going to get paid handsomely in arbitration. And so teams have just started to pivot away from that, especially with budget constraints post-COVID. So yeah, that's the landscape. And it's definitely something that I'm thinking about actively as I'm speculating on closers this year. Yeah, I think that's the biggest part, especially I think this is information that a lot of people would instinctively want to utilize during draft season. Okay, how much do I actually want to invest in? But at the same time, this can also cut you short when you are considering who you're going to be fabbing each and every week. Oh, is this guy going to move into, oh, this guy got a save. Is he moving into the closure situation? Maybe it, is he arbitration eligible? Then maybe not. Maybe this was a one-off thing. Maybe this was just because the other guy needed a day off or this or that. So it would make me more, it would make me pause for sure before I increased my bid on that speculative piece. And I think from what I got out of your article as well, by the way, closing arguments, save share distribution and arbitration status is the name of the article. There'll be a link to that in the show notes as well. So you can check that out. Is that it's, it doesn't 
doesn't stop these pre-arb or arbitration players from getting saves, but it does really procure them from getting the bulk of saves throughout yeah. the course of the year. You quoted Ryan Helsley lost his arbitration case, even though he had, what was it, 19 saves 19 or whatever. And yeah. um, that's not to say that he didn't make more money. He, just because you lose an arbitration case doesn't mean you just get the other amount, which is still more, <laughs> which is still probably more than he would have gotten if he had gotten only 10 saves or five saves because the team knows that they're how valuable they are in the arbitration process. And so again, it doesn't stop a player from getting saves here or there, but it, it more than likely stops them from being the guy. And if you do have a guy like that, more than likely they're getting an extension. A lot of talk was about, I think in the offseason with the Phillies bullpen, what they were doing. It's, okay, oh, Jose Alvarado got an extension. He's the guy. Oh, Sir Anthony Dominguez got an extension. Maybe he's the guy then. Oh, they signed Craig Kimbrell. He's the veteran presence. Now he's the guy. So you do have, obviously, you still have these situations that are still murky. And that's just the team's own doing. But in those situations that are a little bit more clearer, like you mentioned Tampa, Tampa could actually be the most clear it's ever been, at least in re- recent history, based on the fact that, as you said, there's nobody else in that bullpen. If not, if I'm not mistaken, everybody in that bullpen right now is either pre-arbitration or arbitration eligible, except for Fairbanks, and that's only because he signed his long-term deal that bought out all of his arbitration years. Yeah, that's right. And I think with with Fairbanks, it's part of the kind of clarity comes from the fact that he's also the best pitcher in their pen that doesn't hurt no (laughs) so it's that's the thing right is that you do want it's not like i i I do not mean to be suggesting with this article that we're not going to be paying attention to how people are performing but the thing is that if we have if a team has a valid legitimate competitive way to save some money they're going to do it and and so for that reason i'm I, I think that I wouldn't expect Helsley to be leading the league in saves by the end of the year, assuming that the Cardinals offense puts it together, because I think Gallegos is going to take some of those saves just for the sake of saving some money down the road, especially since he's been pitching well. And he, also and he has the contract. Yeah. 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 I think that's, I think the Rays situation, we keep going back to it. It's just, it's so, more, so interesting to me just because at first it's, oh, we're going to give on the surface it's like, oh, we're just going to give all our guys in the bullpen are so good. We're going to give them all the opportunity for saves. But obviously what they're really doing is spreading out the saves. So no one player can bulk up during arbitration. And now it's, you have one guy (laughs) who's probably the closer regardless. And it's like, he's going to get all the saves, but the talent level hasn't changed in that bullpen. They're all still quite good. Um, And they all could close out games. But now none of them are going to get the opportunity in in theory. We'll see how the rest of the season pans out, how Fairbanks knock on wood, his health pans out. A lot of other variables, obviously, that can that play a But I found everything in the article really interesting in the fact that we talk about this like ad nauseum quite a bit, especially in the offseason leading up to draft season. But then I feel like it goes out the window and we stop. We forget all about it when it's, we have this guy got to save. Now this guy got to save. Now this guy got to save. And we, you got to remember, like the team is always thinking about this. Your, as your research pointed out, specifically in the last three seasons, it's really jettisoned into very specific in a very specific way. And we should really be taking notice 
all year round, not just when we're speculating during draft season. So th- I appreciate a lot of the clarification. Make sure you guys are checking out that article, Closing Arguments, Save, Share, Distribution, and Arbitration Status over at PitcherList.com. Like I said, there will be a link in the show description notes that you can click on and check that out at your leisure. Um, Grant, if you don't mind though, we have some fab to talk about. So let's get into some recommendations as we tend to do we go category by category. We will get to saves. So I'm sure there'll be some of this information that we will be able to rehash. But let's start off with our hitters here. We got our power categories, home runs, RBIs to start. Of course, all of our recommendations here are going to be dependent on your league, on your format, how they might. And we will try to clarify that as we go, utilizing roster ship percentages or where we would be interested in picking them up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us off here real quick with our power category just because I want to do this for Kevin here. I'm going to make sure I get this name out here right at the top of the show or at the top of the section at least. Matt Carpenter is playing a whole lot. And the only problem I see is something you said earlier. I would expect him to hit about seven home runs this weekend in Mexico City. And that will obviously impact how much he'll get bid on. But in all seriousness, he's playing almost every day at DH for the Padres. Nelson Cruz is pretty much not playing anymore. It seems that $1 million contract is being utilized at cost. And he's been playing pretty much every day. Carpenter, I speculated in the offseason the possibility of him getting multi-position eligibility because he'll be playing all over. Not case. He's only got four games at first base and he's been playing DH the the rest of the way, which is totally fine. Carpenter's power, as long as his health holds up, is still going to play in San Diego. That's just like it did in New York during that fabled run I mean with the Yankees last year 34% rostered in the main event so he is still in the main part of that is that he is UT only in the NFBC platform there's a chance he has other position eligibility in other formats but there's a reason why he's and he wasn't always playing every day this came on recently in the last week or so but as long as he continues to play every day he's if you need a bat Regardless, move the rest of your roster around and put Matt Carpenter in at your UT. You know, you might want to set him for the first half in those biweekly roster moves, but get him for the second half that the Padres have the full three game on the weekend. So I'd be looking at Matt Carpenter if I need some pop. Who's giving you some pop this week, Grant, as far as the power categories go? All right. So the first name I'm going to mention is someone that is not going to be available in your deep leagues, but I'd have to mention just because I noticed that he's only 50% rostered in online championships. And that's Jack Sawinski, who is tearing the cover off of the ball, continuing the kind of breakout that we started seeing last year. And now he's added to that stolen bases as well. He's got four stolen bases over the past two weeks. If you're playing in really any format, that's going to be relevant. So I just got to throw that out there. But my more... My deeper league pick is Avisiel Garcia, which might be surprising considering the fact that he's not performing at all. But he's 47% rostered in the main event. And if you look at his underlying stats, I think there's a lot of intrigue here. He's had terrible results and his K percentage is up, but his O swing is down and his swinging strike rate is down. His O swing is actually at a career low and his swinging strike rates below his career average. His barrel percentage is up to 10.9, which is above league average. And he's, you know, he's always been able to hit high max exit velocities, but he already has a batted ball at 112. 
Bad X has him projected for 111 WRC plus rest of season, and Bad X is pretty responsive to batted ball metrics. So for all of those reasons, I'm still in on Avisail Garcia, who's being dropped in a lot of places. So if you're in a deep league and you need some pop, obviously the stadium is not going to be homer friendly, but with that kind of power, he should be able to make up for that. So I'm interested if he's available, especially if I'm thin in outfield yeah that's fair and outfield especially in a five outfielder league is going to be the one you get the thinnest because <laughs> even the guys with multi-position eligibility i find myself moving like the likes of andrew vaughn into my corner or like the guys like that into different positions thus watering down my outfield options as well so take a look at those options in your league see if they're available Let's move on to the speed category, Grant. I'll let you lead us off here. Guys who are going to be going after some stolen bases, and again, it's not just stolen bases, also runs scored um, is part of this category. With those categories in mind, who might you be looking at? Yeah, so the two names that came up for me were Ezekiel Duran and Oswald Peraza. I'll start with Ezekiel Duran. I hadn't realized this, but he started eight of his la- of the team's last 10 games. He's seeing playing time at third base occasionally, especially when Josh Young was out for a day or two. But he's also seeing time at shortstop, and it looks like he could be taking time away from Josh Smith or potentially moving past him in that pecking order there. It's only 23% rostered in the main event and if he were to stick around in the lineup then i think that power speed combo plays he's not the highest stolen base or not the you're gonna have to cut this one out <clears throat> he's he isn't going to steal you 30 bases but he is going to be a well above average contributor in the category and in terms of oswald peraza with the yankees kind of having to make a bunch of changes to their lineup in recent days he's seen seven of the last nine games he's been in the lineup he's 43 percent rostered in online championships if you're in deeper leagues he's not going to be available most likely he's a good defender so he's going to stick on the field so long as there's a place for him to play he's playing across multiple positions he's seen time at third base shortstop and second base and last year he stole 35 bags across AAA and mlb he's got a plus hit tool and it's non-zero power it's not any power to write home about but i think that's the kind of profile that can stick in a lineup like this and if he sees if he continues to get this playing time then i think we're going to start to see the stolen bases accumulate so those are the names that came up for me. Yeah, I think I called out Oswald Peraza. Maybe it was Waldo Cabrera that I can never remember which one I actually talked about. But <laughs> definitely a name that I'd be keeping eye out, especially with openings in that line in the Yankees lineup opening up as well for playing time. Name I'm gonna I'm just gonna continue to go with old standards of the show right here, and I'm gonna call out Zach McKinstry now of the Detroit Tigers. Playing time was a little spotty. As of recently, though, he has been leading off for the Tigers. The last two two games, uh, they did not play on Friday as their game was ringed out with Baltimore. They should play a couple of games over the weekend, though. So we'll get some looks there to see what that playing time looks look looks like. But with with missing time with Javier Baez being off injured, spotty injury as of late, Austin Meadows still not back. And now Kerry Carpenter, his status in question. If they're willing to put McKinstry in the leadoff spot, while at least one of those guys is not injured, I would venture to guess as long as he doesn't hit himself out of that position, they could at least keep him in that position against righties, which is what he's done so far. 
I want to call out McKintree too. Not only is obviously being in the leadoff position is going to give you those opportunities. He needs to get on base first. I get that. But when he is on base, he is running at more, 50, more than 50% of the time. And so he's got the four stolen bases on the year. That is with nine opportunities sitting at first base with second base open. So that is a percentage that I really like, even in a small sample size, obviously willing to let him run. He is willing to run. He's only been caught once. So Zach McKinstry, somebody I will be definitely keeping my eye on this coming week as far as, especially if he keeps that leadoff spot through the weekend with these, with this rainout game, to be somebody worth keeping an eye out for. And Yeah. Let's move on to our opportunity section. These are guys that have, they might have good matchups. They might've been moving into more playing time. I almost put McKinstry into this section myself just because of that, of everything I just talked about. But really the only thing McKinstry is going to be providing you with are those speed categories. So I thought he fit perfectly in there. He doesn't really add a lot of pop to his repertoire. Anyway, so as far as the opportunity guys who have a lot of games coming up. So let's talk about the schedule real quick. Just things to keep in mind as you are making your bids. There are only six teams that have a full seven game work week. We have Boston, Toronto, Atlanta, the Mets, Washington, and the Cubs. They all have seven games as long as none of them get rained out. There are two teams that only have five games. They have two off days this time, Monday and Thursday, Arizona and Texas. They will have Monday and Thursday off next week with every other team playing six, either being off Monday or Thursday. Cincinnati and Colorado watch Cincinnati is at, San Diego to start their uh, start their week with the White Sox being hosted in Cincinnati through the weekend where Colorado, they start off at home with three versus Milwaukee, but then they head on the road to the Mets to end their week. So as Kevin Hastings pointed out in the offseason, it's really difficult to get a full week of Colorado, like all Colorado Rockies at home. So it is something you do have to maneuver when you have these guys in your lineup if you want to take advantage of of the thin air in Denver and not have to be hurt by Rocky Road at other points. So keep that in mind if you do roster your Rockies. Grant, with all that in mind and anything else you want to consider, who might you be looking at that looks like they have a decent opportunity ahead of themselves for this coming week? Yeah, so one name that I want to throw out there is Emmanuel Valdez of the Boston Red Sox. And this is because of the seven-game week. Six of the projected starters are righties. And Valdez is going to taking over at second base currently with Christian Arroyo nursing a hamstring injury. He's also just not been playing well. And so I'm interested here. He had a bit of a breakout last year with 28 home runs and eight stolen bases across AA and AAA. And he was, tra- he was then traded to the Red Sox. But the big thing here for me is that this is a decent flyer. It seems like there's enough power and speed here that it could stick. He had a really great spring training, and then he had a slow start to AAA this year. But with the Red Sox call up, with the fact that he'll be facing six righties and there's seven games this week, I would be interested if I'm looking for a second baseman. You can always use second baseman. It seems always. <laughs> I feel like the guys that I need to play second base, they have, they're stuck at shortstop. And I know a lot of people are down shortstops lately, but it does seem like I always need a second baseman. 
guy I'm looking at here in the, is going to go against the grain. We typically, as you mentioned, you looked at guys had seven games. I'm going after the guy who only has five games, which is odd, <laughs> with Bubba Thompson. At first glance, obviously, this doesn't look like somebody you really should be paying a lot of attention to. He's not playing a whole lot, but he is on the... He is on the short side of the platoon with Texas. He's become an afterthought in the outfield for the Rangers, but they do face off against what looks like to be three left-handed starters with the Angels over the weekend. Um, So if there is an opportunity for Bubba Thompson to actually get on base and get you a bunch of stolen bases, he can do it. We've seen him do it. He has the speed to do it. He just needs to get on base to do it. If they give him all three of those starts because of the handedness of those pitchers, that'll be the best opportunity that he's going to see for a long time, probably. So be looking at Bubba Thompson, especially if I'm really, if I really need to make a bump in stolen bases specifically, more than likely he'll still be at the bottom of the lineup. That ninth hole, that ninth spot in the lineup can still get you extra runs as the lineup turns over, as long as you can get on base and make your way around the bases after that. Bubba Thompson, somebody I will be putting at the, uh, the somewhere in my conditional bid list if I need some extra speed just because of those matchups that he's going to be looking at against the Angels. Yeah, one more name I just want to throw out there is Edward Olivares. He's only 10% rostered in online championships, but he's getting consistent playing time over in Kansas City, which is something all of us have been waiting for a long time. He's currently hitting in the heart of the order against righties, usually around 5th or 6th, and then at the top of the order against lefties. There's decent power there and non-zero speed, maybe above average speed. And I'm definitely interested there if I have the need. And I think he's also available in some, though probably not the majority of deeper leagues as well. So definitely take a look, see if he's available in your league. Yeah, I like that. I have been on good authority that uh, Edward Olivares has finally been able to let go of his personal driver to Omaha. He's getting plenty of mileage there a couple years ago, but Kansas City seems happy to keep him up finally for extended periods of time. All right, let's move into some pitching categories here, Grant. We have, of course, our counting categories, wins and Ks. Typically, this is our volume plays. As I talked about, somebody like Jose Barrios is on the wire. He's got a two-step. You'll be looking at him, Singer going up against Oakland, of course. Um, In in the majority of leagues, these guys are not available. I went just the slightest more deep, deeper. (laughs) I'm on a roll tonight with my pick here with Drew Smiley, somebody I'll be looking at. In my 12-teamers, 46% rostered in the online championship. He does have a two-step, and what a two-step it looks like it could be going up against Washington. Granted, in Washington, it's still Washington. And then also hosting Miami. Of course, Drew Smiley had the very infamous should-have-been-a-no-hitter, should-have-been-a-perfect-game incident with Jan Gomes. They had some fun with it in the post game, so that was good that they could shake that off, both literally and figuratively. But the matchups alone is really all I need to be looking at. The way he's been performing, I'm going to be picking on these. Are going to be my picks pretty much all years. I'm going to be picking the guys. Up, yeah, you're going to have a guy that goes up against a bad offense. You're going to have a Shohei Otani inning where somehow Brent Rooker gets to you from the Oakland A's. But in general. I don't see this, especially based on what Smiley's been doing lately as a trap play. I don't, I'm not picking up pitchers in this scenario just because they have a two-step because 
more than likely you'll get gombered or you get in a situation where you're getting trapped and you're doing more harm than good. Smiley would be somebody I would probably be bidding quite a bit on in my 12-teamers if he is available. And I'm in plenty of 12-teamers, so those listening know I will have bids on Smiley if he is available. I should probably check to see what his availability is in those leagues, but we'll see on Sunday. Death taxes and Brent Rucker hitting home runs when he shouldn't be. That's the <laughs> Yeah, this is a pretty thin week in terms of streamers as far as two start weeks go. I think a lot of the more interesting matchups are coming from pitchers that are more than more likely than not already rostered in most 12 and 15 team leagues. I would definitely look at the Cubs in general and keep an eye on the situation with Jamison Tyone. He's eligible to come off of the IL on May 2nd, and I believe that's the Tuesday and so whether or not he makes that start, there seems to be some optimism that he might. That might shake some things up, although I believe Smiley gets the start on the first, so it shouldn't affect Smiley. But if he does enter the, if he doesn't enter the rotation, Wesneski is someone to look around, see if some 12-teamers he's starting to be dropped because of a slow start to the season. I still believe in Wesneski long-term. In terms of potential streamers, though, Tyler Wells is a possibility. It's not a fantastic to start. The first is at Kansas City, which I'm much more interested in than at Atlanta. And Wells isn't exactly the kind of pitcher that I would be jumping to start in this situation because the Ks aren't high enough that I'm super excited about the volume. But I think this is, if you're in a deeper league and you just want to get a potential win and a decent number of Ks across the two starts from a streamer, then that would be an option. But it's also the kind of streamer that I would be interested in rostering long-term. If you're interested to hear a breakdown about this in the deep podcast, I did a great breakdown of Tyler Wells this season so far. As they tend to do. So that's a good call out there. Schwebsey and Jordan do a great job over at In the Deep. Make sure you're checking them out actually on Saturday the day before. So these are fresh in your feed if you are subscribing to this pod on the main picture list podcast network feed or just check out the In the Deep network feed in general. All right, let's go into less the still streamer situation, but these are guys that you're looking at that can chip away. You're not worried about the wins. You're not necessarily worried about the Ks. Those are nice. If you get one of them, that's great. Typically, we find I find myself recommending middle relievers or just relievers in general here. Again, really hard for me to do that as we're recording on Friday, because I will tend to see what the usage is over the weekend before I recommend a reliever. If they went back to back on Saturday, Sunday, not somebody I'll be looking at for the following week. But with that in mind, somebody I will be keeping an eye on is Nick Martinez as he moved into the bullpen role for the Padres. And just the fact that He's going to have some off days and he's going to be able to get in there for some extra work if, you know, the Padres need it. He's, he had his ups and downs in the ro- in the rotation, obviously more ups at the early part, more downs. Now he's in the bullpen. I get it. But he's got a type of profile I think really works really well in a long relief situation. He's His first outing in the bullpen went very well. I expect that to all of his stuff to play up continuously. He made some very positive remarks when the move was made. He's, he's lucky that he's got guaranteed money, so it doesn't really affect him so much. It's one of those things where if he was still arbitration or if he doesn't have a contract, he's still playing for a contract, he'd probably be a little bit more perturbed because it does make it a little bit harder to sell yourself in the future. 
He's good though. Monetarily, he's all taken care of. So he's going to do what the team needs him to do. And hopefully that means positive, positive results as a result. So Positive results as a result. There's I'm three for three. 53% rostered in the main event still. 20% in online championships. I think he could be very useful even in this short week for the Padres. Nick Martinez, I think, plays up a little bit in, in the bullpen. So keep an eye on his usage over the weekend as well. I really like your pick, so I'm going to I'm gonna give it over to you here. And even though I put in my names before you did most of this situation, I always wish that I stole this one from you. Who do you like and for the ratio chippers? Yeah, so my pick is Michael King. I was surprised by the fact that he's not more rostered than he is, but I think that's because he had a couple of bad outings right at the beginning of the season. So there might be some kind of lingering memory of couple bad relief appearances he's looked really dominant recently and he's started to take on a multi-inning role I was a little bit concerned that he might get that sort of eighth inning setup role that the Yankees oftentimes have someone in that position but he's been consistently going out there and throwing two to three innings in most recently that gave him a save but it also can mean vulture wins as well All the while, you're getting stellar ERA and whip and a high percentage of Ks across the board. He's got a deep arsenal that can can play well to both righties and lefties. And I wrote about this a bit in last year when he was having his kind of breakout for pitcher list. So if you want to learn more about that, you can find my King Michael article from last year. But high Ks, low ratios, he's getting those multi-innings. This is somebody who I have on my TGFBI roster and who I've consistently been putting in and served me really well. Yeah, if he's available, it's 3% in online championships, 42% in main event. So it's very possible he's available in your league and he's definitely worth a pickup because he won't be rostered at this low percentage for long. Yeah, I mean... He King and to a lesser extent Martinez that I just mentioned. What I like about it, you don't have to watch their usage over the weekend because you know when they're going in, they're going in for those multi innings. And yeah, it's great if they don't pitch over the weekend. Maybe they get two of those two to three inning outings throughout the week. But as long as you get the one three inning outing, you know, with no earned runs and maybe one walk or one hit, you're looking good at doing that every week chipping away at those ratios yeah of course if you can get them in on monday and on thursday or monday and friday great but i'll take what i can get there let's get back into our save option here my options here that i'm going to throw out here go against (laughs) one of them doesn't but you have hunter harvey who if i'm not mistaken is still in arbitration but the Washington situation is not one that I really want to be touching, but Kyle Finnegan is not doing himself any favors. And we've been saying this all month in the fact that he's still getting saves is still, it is what it is. When they finally make a move though, it does seem like Hunter Harvey is the guy that will be taking over. With that being said, I do wonder if it gets into the situation that we talked about earlier, that your whole article revolves around how many, not only is Washington bad, but like how many saves will they actually give to Hunter Harvey in a long stretch, as opposed to spreading it out to make sure that no one bulks up. If I want to speculate though, Hunter Harvey is doing good things. He's got some holds on the season as well. He might be somebody that's not going to hurt you and could walk himself or back himself into saves. And then... The other really more speculative one is 
the guy who can actually vulture a save, which he's already done, is Yenier Cano in Baltimore, who is Felix Batista's backup. Obviously, Batista is the guy in Baltimore, regardless of arbitration status. Like, that's not... That will be one of the outliers as you update that article, I'm sure, unless they do extend him as well to a long-term contract. But Cano has already gotten the save once. Obviously, that's because Batista needed some rest. He had been pitching quite a bit. But Cano seems to be the obvious number two there, doing good things with ratios, getting plenty of usage as well. He could back himself into another save opportunity here or there, not somebody that I trust long-term, but if, God forbid, anything were to happen to Batista, it seems pretty obvious that Cano is the guy in Baltimore. Yeah, and I just want to say this is why it's so important to keep team context in mind as well. I think both of these are worthwhile pickups. Just looking over at the Nationals, Hunter Harvey, yeah, he's in arbitration, but so is Finnegan, and so is the majority of their bullpen, and I don't see them giving Erasmo Ramirez the bulk of the saves, and that's the only vet in in their bullpen at present. Hmm. Similar situation with the Orioles. It's a really young bullpen, and that's reflected in the fact that Bautista is in the closer role. I, I think Cano looks really exciting, so I would definitely be interested there. In terms of my picks here, I had three. None of them are, they're just, they're maybe towards the tail end of your bidding order, but the first two are just potential vulture saves. You got both John Schreiber and Eric Swanson are kind of set up relievers, set up man, and they are both have seven game weeks. And so especially if you see either Romano or Jansen get a lot of usage over the weekend, it might be an opportunity for you to pick up a save. So keep an eye out on that. They're 2% rostered, both of them, in the main event. So they should be there and there probably won't be many bids on them. It's a potential option there. Jury's Familia is getting some save opportunities in Oakland, but this is very much a short term possible thing which is why i say this is gross <laughs> even if this person even if familia has the role i don't expect it to be long term and i also don't know if i'm interested even if it were he's not he's been he's had his moments over the past few years but if you're really desperate for a save that could be a short-term play if i am in an, uh, an oakland a's only league um this will be somebody that i will be targeting Hardcore, for sure. No, I would probably be a conditional bid, to be honest, even in that scenario. <laughs> yeah. Some long-term spec ads to talk about in the future, but yeah, those are more, <laughs> more the this week plays. Sure, fair enough. Yeah, make sure you're listening to the guys over at In The Pen when they talk about, somehow they find a way to talk about the Oakland A's bullpen every single week, and it is hilarity ensues when it gets to that. Sorry, Jake. All right. Let's let's finish this off. Grant, I'm going to let you finish this off with the wild card section. You got some nice, interesting names in here as well. So I'm going to let you take the uh, the bulk of this. This is my favorite category, and it's, really, it's my favorite category because I love hearing the types of players that every guest comes in and talks about. Sometimes they're pure stashes. Sometimes they're speculative ads. Sometimes they're just like guys that are obvious pickups that just didn't fit into one of the categories we talked about earlier. You got three guys here. I want you to touch on all of them and how they fit into what you're looking for. Yeah, maybe Emmanuel Valdez would have been here as another option as well. But uh, yeah, the first name is less of an immediate action item, but definitely something that at this point in the season you should be thinking about, which is Luis Ortiz of the Pittsburgh Pirates is not in the rotation at present, but If you have bench space, this is around the time when you might be thinking about stashing. If 
he's available in your league and he's pitched 140 innings last year. So I don't think that there's going to be a tight innings limit this season. He was a big fantasy target over the off season, precisely for that reason. People thought that he might actually get some play and he had done really well in his short stint in the majors last year. Ronzi Contreras came up in May last year, which is why I'm mentioning this now. It, uh, it seems like the Pirates, there are different team philosophies around how to protect young pitchers and their arms. Some teams, like the Orioles, for example, seem to be implementing tight pitch limits in particular starts. The Pirates seem more interested in allowing their pitchers to take periods of rest and then pitch five to six innings when they come up in the majors. If they do the same thing they did with Rowanzi, then you're talking about a Whenever someone in their rotation needs to go down, he might be someone they're considering, in which case he will get a ton of hype and will cost a lot more in fab. So if you have that space now or next week, there is a time that I'd start thinking about that. Two other names are really based on my article. And they're really speculative. They're not something that I would expect to play out over the next week but they're the kinds of spec ads that I would consider making if I was looking for saves and had some space on the bench to stash and wait and see. The first is Shelby Miller. I hesitate with this one just because the walks have been so high and that's concerning to me, but he did earn a save when Brewstar Gratterall was on the paternity list and Evan Phillips had just come off the paternity list, but for whatever reason, Phillips pitched the sixth, Shelby Miller got the ninth. This was on, I believe it was on Wednesday, is that right? And uh, yeah, so that was on the day that Phillips had been reinstated from the paternity list. And so it was mm-hmm. like, oh, maybe this is a kind of easing back in situation. I don't really know what the rationale would be. For no, that. man. It's, I know Josh Hader didn't do well, obviously. It's an outlier. It seems like you usually have the super dad strength when you come back the first time around. <laughs> That's so, the advantage yeah, of that. I, I, when I saw that, my immediate thought wasn't, oh, no, Evan Phillips isn't in the closer role anymore. But it was, oh, if they're willing to throw Miller in a save situation, then... I definitely need to take note. Why? Because the Dodgers are largely an arbitration and pre-arbitration heavy bullpen. Shelby Miller's the sole veteran in the bullpen since Daniel Hudson, who they had hoped to be the closer, was not or has not repressed well in rehab. And if there is any kind of if they if we start seeing this kind of high leverage use for Miller, then I would definitely be interested because as we know from this past offseason, the Dodgers are not particularly interested in overspending this season. They have been tight on cash all offseason, and this is the an easy way for them to save a few million dollars. And if it's something that they can do while remaining competitive, I don't see why they wouldn't. So that's one yeah, option. Save those dollars for Otani, right? That's the whole idea. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so that's one option. I Like I said, I'm hesitant because the walks have been up. So definitely keep an eye on performance as well. But it's a spec ad. That's what these are. Second name is, interestingly enough, Shintaro Fujinami. I would not have said go add Shintaro Fujinami last week. Uh, no. but, but he's been moved into the pen. And Katze signaled that they are hoping to use them in high leverage. I don't imagine that the closer role goes immediately to Fujinami. I imagine they want to see how this, you know, how he plays in the pen, but he's had really good stuff. It's just the command is an issue. And we know that relievers with 
high stuff and low command can play up in that pen when they're taken out of a starting role. I'd definitely be interested there as a spec ad just because they don't have anyone in the role currently aside from Jerry's Familia. So there's not much blocking him. And since there is the stuff and since he is a vet and since they have signal high leverage, I wouldn't be surprised if a week from now we see the saves start coming or two weeks from now, saves start coming, in which case, as soon as that happens, people are going to be more interested. So this is a spec ad if that's what you're looking for. Yeah, it's really interesting. Obviously, you say that the stuff plays up in the bullpen. Just to compare his last two outings, right, where he started on the 22nd, he went two and a third. (laughs) I'm not even going to do the math here, but he let up a lot of earned runs. (laughs) (laughs) got two strikeouts. He let up a lot of hits and walks. I get it. But then just a couple days later or four or five days later, he comes up in relief on the 26th, two innings. So very similar time frame in, in the ball game, three strikeouts, no runs, two hits. No, it wasn't even two. It must have been one hit. It it was just night and day. And just how that stuff plays up when you know, you're going to be pulled. You're, you have an expiration time period in the game and you're coming in at the start of an inning grant it's nice to be able to come in where the bases aren't loaded we don't know what kind of situation they're going to put them in do they call fujinami in to clean something up probably not he's probably more of a start the inning and hopefully you can get through one or two innings and get a couple strikeouts and get out cleanly rather than be a fireman like probably not a guy that you want to you know you want to come in and clean up first and second with one out type of situation but that's what close. If you want to get into high leverage and you want to be a closer, you're going to be starting in those situations anyway, unless it's extra innings. Very really interesting because obviously he was, if he hasn't been dropped, he's been dropped pretty much everywhere and it'll be widely available. Yeah, I like that. I like that spec ad for sure. Only if you knew he was going to be the closer because there's only going to be so many saves to go around in Oakland. But as you pointed out, he is post-ARB, so it's not a concern of arbitration dollars moving forward. He could get into that. There's nobody else taking that job for sure. Yeah. All right, man. this was awesome. I think we we hit on a lot of really good players. Got some a lot of a lot of new insight, especially from that bullpen's perspective. We talk about bullpens every week, but not to this kind of like in depth, like the way we you were able to like outline through that article. Thanks for taking the time to join me. I know I lost a listener, but I'm happy to have you here inputting rather than just taking it all in. So hopefully we'll get you back listening next week. But for now, I'm just happy that you were here with me this week. Let everybody remind everybody where they can follow you. If you have anything else in the works that they should be keeping an eye out for and anything else that you want to shout out. Yeah. So I, in terms of just things in the works, I've got a few things that are coming probably sometime in the next few weeks. First would just be an update to my wins below replacement ownership statistic, which I update every year, which kind of outlines how different owners may or may not purchase wins that they could have afforded in a given season and in free agency. And then aside from that, I've been workshopping a a kind of metric for isolating base taking out of isolated slugging because I'm always interested in the way that ISO actually reflects base running more than we 
like to think. And so I'm, I have some ideas. I wrote a piece about this last year that I'm hoping to update a bit this year, some ideas for how to develop on it. But other than that, you can keep an eye out for an update, a mid-season review of this save share distribution piece, because I think this is something to keep track of. And I want to wait until I have a larger sample size to see how it's playing out this season. You can find me on Twitter at throwing underscore gas, G-A-S-E. And you can find me and my stuff on PitcherList or in the PitcherList Discord. Yeah, that's the main part right there. The PitcherList Discord, very active in there, as is hundreds of other people at all times. So if you don't have PitcherList Plus or PitcherList Pro, make sure you're going out and doing that. You can talk to both of us and everybody else in the Discord on a regular basis. That is going to wrap it up for episode 113 of On The Wire. Please make sure to subscribe, share, and review the podcast wherever you're listening. We'll be back every Sunday with detailed fat breakdowns throughout the 2023 season. Of course, keep an eye out for Brett Ford's companion article over at PitcherList.com that comes out every Sunday afternoon as well to get his recommendations for who you should be looking at for with your fab dollars as well. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Hasting Kevin. Of course, follow the pod at On The Wire Pod. like to once again thank my guest Grant Washburn for joining me this week. Follow him at throwing underscore gas that's g-a-s-e on the twitter after all that i am adam howe and on behalf of kevin hasting thanks for listening and we bid you goodbye goodbye